0: Thank you, Jeremy, so much. Y'all find 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, and so uh, I, I actually got pretty close to finishing this last week, and uh, I got to the last three or four verses, and I kind of zipped through that, and so we were going to chapter 7 this morning, and uh, the Lord said, no, we're not going to chapter 7. We're going back, and you're going to preach those last three verses because they're very important. Y'all all All right. <laughs> So uh, you'll remember where we've been. We've been talking about the foundation of our purity, and then we talked about the failure of our freedom. The foundation of our purity was what? Do you remember? I've failed miserably. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> when you get saved, that's the foundation of your purity. Amen? Amen. And then the failure of our freedom. Paul says all things are lawful unto me but all things are permissible but not everything is edifying. So one of the greatest things you have is sovereignty in your life. God gave you free will. You can choose to do what you want to do but everything you choose to do is not good for you. So the failure of our freedom. And then now here we come to this. We come to this last section It's called the fabric of your honor. And this is where you have made the right choice, you do the right things. And so, let's let's look in verse number 18. This is the last tag on this little, little bitty section of Scripture before God, Paul goes into chapter 7. And I'm going to tie it into the context so those of you who are reading ahead, and I know some of you really do that. You study the Scripture before we get there and try to help you put this in context. Some of these verses that are so familiar to you, I hope after I preach them in context to you, that they get very vivid in your life. And so, Uh, Verse number 18 in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Run from immorality. Now, I'm going to change some of the words today as we go because we have other folks with us today in the sanctuary, if y'all know what I mean. And I want to make sure that we uh, stay on an adult level but at the same time protect the little ears as well, okay? So Paul says, Run from immorality. Every sin a person commits is outside of the body. On the contrary, the person who is immoral in his flesh sins against his own body. And now here, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Wow. Whom you have from God. Y'all ready? I didn't say this. I didn't say this. It's in the Bible. You're not your own. Ooh. Wow, for you were bought at a price. If you are writing your Bible circle that preposition at. Brother Jeremy just sang about it. Only one that could, only one that would die for you at a price. Big theolo- theology right there. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? Everything that I've been talking about from chapter 6 all the way from verse number 9 all the way through, Paul sums it up right here. He says, because of these things that I just preached, therefore, honor God in your body. And Christians today are not honoring God with their body. Now this message is not here to beat you up. I understand where we all are. We live in the flesh and we're working on serving Jesus and being holy. But holiness and purity is just simply not preached anymore. And people today, especially as Americans, what we like to say is, this is my life, my body, my choice. It's not your choice. And so we're going to deal with that as we get there. Now, look in chapter seven, Paul starts here. And then so Paul has set the stage. And so the things that follow from here, when you get to chapter seven, now in response, or many of your translations, when we get there next week, I'm going to show you how this fits in. The scripture says, now concerning. Now concerning the matters you wrote to me about. From chapter 7 on, Paul is going to start answering questions. And Paul says, here's some stuff that you guys wrote to me about. And then he says, verse 25 of chapter 7, now concerning the virgins. And then he goes on a little bit further. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, chapter 8 verse 1 and then he gets to spiritual gifts he says now concerning spiritual gifts and so that is the context so in other words this group of people when I did the introduction I told you there was a group of people that came from Corinth they came to Paul had a written list and they said hey Paul we're confused about these things can you help them with them so the first four chapters Paul rebuked them for the divisions in the church and for setting people up on a pedestal and we talked about Jesus Christ he's the one that should be on the pedestal no one else and so Paul says first four chapters. There's divisions, fighting, and all kind of foolishness going on in the churches. And Paul says, it shouldn't be. And then he goes from there to to chapter 5, and he tells them how to deal with immoral church members. And then he says, lawsuits in chapter 6. And then he comes, and then Paul sets the stage for the rest of the, pretty much almost a good portion of the rest of the book. And he says, here's how you honor God in your body. And so Paul says, this is the tag that comes on right at the end of that, that. Paul says, here's what you're supposed to do if you're in a marriage relationship. Here's what to do if you're unmarried. Here's what to do if you're a widow and you're unmarried. Here's what you do in many different, various situations in your life. Here's what you're supposed to do with virgins. Uh, here's what happens if your spouse dies here's what happens uh, uh, concerning your worship services in chapter 11. Paul's going to just keep moving right on through. And, and so this really sets the stage with Paul being able to say to them, here's what you're supposed to do because you don't own your body. And so now I want to just confess something to you this morning to kind of put your heart at ease. Uh, a long time ago, back in the early 80s, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was supposed to have done that when I was seven. I couldn't even remember what happened. The only thing I remember from my conversation with my pastor is Dr. Bradley taking his watch off and handing it to me and saying, Jerry, I was a 6-year-old boy or 7-year-old boy, and he says, if I were to give you this watch, what would be the only way that you could have it as a gift? And as a little boy, I still didn't understand what he said, and he had to go through it two or three more times. And then finally I said, I would have to take it, he said absolutely. It's the only thing I remember. And I knew that what Dr. Bradley was doing was saying that the gift of salvation was free that I had to take it. Now, I'm pretty sure that when I was seven years old that Jesus received me. I was baptized. Then my family drifted away from church. And in the early 80s, in my early 20s, the Lord began to call me home. God had a plan for my life. And I want to tell you from the time I got right with the Lord when I came back, I was so confused about my salvation experience I made a profession of faith and was baptized. First thing I did was, listen, you want to talk about messed up. First thing I did was I came back, I did the Baptist thing and rededicated my life and was baptized again. You know what that did? Nothing. There is absolutely no reason to baptize people to rededicate their lives. That is ridiculous. All you're doing is teaching the children that what we've taught them is, is if you've given your life to Jesus and you've done this once, you don't have to do it again. It's ridiculous. So what we don't do that here. So if you will come and make a profession of faith, then I'll baptize you. That's the order, and that's what we're supposed to do. But finally, I knew. I, I mean, I was so confused. I, I, I mean, I, I was so afraid that I was going you know where that I just I was at the altar every Sunday. People were asking, what's wrong with that boy that's coming to church? Nobody counseled me and helped me. It took a long time for somebody to pull me aside and help me understand the truth. But from that moment on, when I gave my life to Jesus and I got right with God, I have been in a fight. Anybody know that fight going on this morning? I'm telling you from the day one that Jesus entered my heart till now and I believe that it was Jesus in my heart that drew me back to him and helped me realize that all the things that I was doing in my life even even before I knew what was going on those things that took place in my life I knew that they were wrong and I was in this fight I, I and I mean some of you are in that fight today and you're growing in the Lord I want to teach you how to fight and I want, to, I want you to understand the grace of God that's in your life Many times, people that are so dedicated unto the Lord can spend all their time beating themselves up, and that's not the way it's supposed to happen. That is just as dangerous as you not caring and having a uh, laissez faire attitude towards sin in your life. God doesn't want that. What has pastor taught you? Balance. You're supposed to know that this is wrong. You're supposed to work on it. When you fail, you ask for forgiveness, and you keep moving on. Somebody say amen. Now, that's going to come in handy for next week when we start talking about marriage. I promise you, if you'll come next week and if you'll listen, I promise you I will tell you some things you've never heard in your entire life. I'll share with you some of the words of Jesus that will settle you in your spirit with where you are, no matter what's happened in your life. You all right? All right, that's a preview for next week. Notice the first thing in verse 18, run from immorality. The little word right here in the original language is a present imperative. Here's what that means. You know what imperatives are. Imperatives are commands. That means do this. It's a, it's a present imperative, which means do it right now and keep doing it and don't stop doing it. How many of you have ever fled from immorality? You ever see, Let me tell you, I knew a man one time who was, was married, and he was flirting with this lady at the counter. And the lady responded. That joker ran like a rabbit. He was out of there. She called his hand. But he knew he had gone a little too far, and he took off running out of the store. That cracked me up. You want to tell you something? That always goes in my mind when I see this. Flee from immorality. Can I ask you how far and how fast and how quick are you willing to flee from immorality? If you get yourself in trouble, if you get into a place and you think, Ooh, I, I've, I've compromised myself. I shouldn't be here. And you get up and you leave. Have you ever done that? Have you ever fled from immorality? Have you ever protected yourself from a, a situation that you just should not be in? And so if you're going to honor God with your body, and your body is not your own, and you're in a place, uh, can I ask you this? Have you ever been in an, a relationship? You knew you were in a bad relationship. You shouldn't be in that relationship. You should get out of that relationship and move forward. I remember that when I got saved. I was in a relationship with a young lady who was not a believer. She was not a Christian. She was doing all the things that I used to do, but now we're not doing anymore. I was going to church, and she was going to different places. And I had the hardest time cutting that string, cutting that tie. But finally, eventually, she got tired of my religiousness and said, I don't want to see you anymore. But as the years went on, I learned not to let other people cut the ties. I cut the ties now because I'm spiritually mature enough to know this is not good for me. Some of you, maybe you're just simply hooked on a television show. You know that you shouldn't be watching that television show. But, man, you're, you're just, just gone crazy. you got to get home in time to see that. It's your, and it's just putting things in your Christian life that shouldn't be there. Some of you, maybe you're working at a job and you're thinking, this job is killing me. This job is bringing all these ungodly things in my life. And the Lord says to flee from those things that are ruining your spiritual life. Can I ask you, what is the most important thing in your life? It's your walk with Jesus. It's your holiness. And so an honorable man, this this word says, do it, do it now, and keep on doing it. And I want to tell you for 35, 40, it says 1982 is best I can tell. I can't tell you when I got saved because I went to the altar every Sunday and begged God to save me. I do know this. The first time I was serious is when the Lord saved me. Y'all all all right? But, you know, some people say, well, I don't know when I was born. I don't even have a birth certificate. Well, you can't prove to me I'm not here. Y'all all right? So I can't tell you the moment I got saved. I think it's great that some people can say, man, it was on January the 5th in 1937. I knelt and gave you. Boy, I'd love to have a testimony like that. I don't. I didn't get to proper counseling. I was scared to death. I was going to hell. So I just kept praying all the time. I thought I had to do it every Sunday. You know what I mean? But he's never left me. I can promise you that. An honorable man or a woman does whatever it takes to bring holiness and, and purity into their relationships and their lives. You plan ahead for purity. Y'all all right? I, I remember... A pastor's conference we went to, and then and all these pastors, pure, holy, righteous guys, good guys, they stuffed them up in a motel room with free cable. The next morning at breakfast, all the guys were coming out. Holy cow. Y'all put us up here with all of this, the temptations that are there to what we could watch and see? That was back when cable first came out. You see, some of the guys checked out and went somewhere else. Y'all all right? That's the way you do it. You plan ahead. You don't put yourself in those types of positions. Can I just say to you, the powerful drives that we have, here's the problem with all of the things that tempt us and cause us problems. All of those things were good at one time, but then the fall of man happened, and every one of those things got corrupted. Paul speaks of this. I just preached about this. Paul said, food for the stomach, stomach for the food. Nothing wrong with food, right? Right. I've got a pretty good food drive. Y'all, all all right? But that doesn't mean that I can eat anything and everything that I want. Now, last night, about 9 o'clock, I kept seeing these wing commercials, and it wouldn't go away. You remember what I told you? Whatever you do on Saturday, if it interferes with what you do on Sunday, you see, I didn't want to have a problem this morning y'all all right see that controls what you do it controls what you order it controls what you buy it in control it controls how you talk to your wife it, it controls how you talk to your husband it controls how you raise your children where you work, where you go, how you worship everything about your body all of these drives and passions that we have let me tell you something I asked a guy one time who was addicted to stuff on the internet and I asked him I said hey pal are you willing to change jobs? Well, I can't change jobs. I'm making good money. I said, go get another job making good money. Is it worth your marriage, your relationship with God, and everything else to keep this job where you're by yourself all day on the computer? Either that or get right with Jesus and cut that out. I ain't hearing a lot this morning. You see, all the, the passions that we have that are natural passions, nothing wrong with that passion that you have, it's from God. He gave it to you, but from the fall to now, now it's loose, and you've got to rope it in. You've got to control it. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to change jobs, to change towns, to change friends, whatever it takes to flee? Your holiness and obedience are most important. Have you ever had your kid get a friend they shouldn't have? And, and it's almost impossible for you to help them see this kid is causing you problems, Y'all are bad for one another. If you've ever been in a relationship with a girl, guys, or guys with a g- girls with a guy, guys with a girl. It's just not a good relationship. And you're killing yourself in that relationship. Sin is so cruel, it makes us sin against our own bodies. Flee from this immorality. Every sin that you commit is outside of the body. On the contrary, the person who is sinful immorally sins against his own body. Now I'm telling you that just you just can't let that you can't let that go by. You gotta hear that. You gotta see that. You're you're causing your own demise. You keep touching the stove and getting burned, but you just keep doing it. Some folks, are, uh, uh, you know, they have surgery and they get pain medicine. The next thing you know, they just got to have that pain medicine, and they keep going and they keep going and they keep going and they keep going. You're causing your own demise. I saw this thing yesterday that just literally broke my heart on the news, there were people, they were showing this in San Francisco, there's a fentanyl crisis. And there the people are, literally, they've done the drugs, and they're standing in the street, some of them lying down, they can't stand up, and most of them were just standing there like this. They were like zombies. They didn't fall down, they couldn't stand up, they were just like this, and they would rock. And people that cared about these people that were just been left behind in our society were taking water and food to them some of them probably hadn't had water in two or three days and you wonder how can they live and you wonder to yourself and we and we all would say the same thing change your lifestyle do something different get some help whatever it takes but the point is they did it to themselves they caused their own demise He delivers himself. The man who is in this type of thing, Dr. Rogers says this. I couldn't believe this, but this hit me, so I wanted to share it with you. He says that a man who does this sins against himself. He destroys himself, but he also sins against God, sins against his family, sins against their friends, sins against his nation and the church body. Paul's going to go through here. He calls us a body. Can I ask you a question? If you say I don't believe that, let me say if pastor got addicted to drugs, would it affect the body of Christ? Well, if it if it's for me, it would be for you. Amen. Amen. I know preachers that are addicted to golf or uh, he play 5. I know a guy played 5 days a week. I'm like, "When do you do your job?" I'm sure your people are fussing at you about that. I'm sure your wife thinks you're crazy. You can get addicted to fishing. Did you know you can get addicted to your iPhone? These are passions, but Paul says, run from the immorality. But the immorality, those things, those passions that live within us because of the flesh are the things that cause us to go after them. See, one of the things that you expect from me more than anything else, if you don't think this is important, you expect me to preach the Word of God to you on Sunday morning, but you guys and other people in this community expect one thing from your pastor. It's holiness. If you find out your pastor's not holy, you find out someone is doing some things that is just like he's telling you to be disciplined and he's not. It just doesn't work. You have to work a measure of holiness in your life and responsibility. I love this. I wanted to share this with you. It's going to take just a second, but I think it's worth it. This is Spurgeon, and Spurgeon talked about sin. It's from his book, Power into Blood. It's one of the most effective things that I've ever seen in my life about sin and what it does to us and those passions when we give in to them. You see, because what we do is we get in a little habit, and we, we roll along in that habit. Amen? And then before you know it, you, you're just in the habit, and it's not sin anymore. It's just a part of your life. Say Amen. One day it was two Cokes, and nothing wrong with drinking Cokes. I'm a, I'm a believer in, you know, Coke Zero. Y'all all right? I like it. So I went to that to get off the sugar. Amen? Praise the Lord. Bless me. But if you drink eight a day, then you, you, <laughs> well, you right? So, I mean, that's our nature to do those types of things. But here, Spurgeon says, you say, well, Brother Jerry, that's just Coke's. Yeah, but there's other things that are way more serious than Coke's. It's a disease. Sin is a disease. The Bible says, by his stripes, we are. If you need healing, then that means there's a disease somewhere. Sin is a disease. And so what the Lord wants for you is not to say, no, 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 no. He wants to protect you. Can I teach you something this morning? You all with me? You with me? The Lord just kind of showed this in my devotion on, on yesterday morning. What's the? And if I were to ask you this, I want you to think about it. What is, what is the difference in protection, and chastisement? Protection and discipline. Is there a difference? Amen. Amen. You see, if the Lord brings about a trial or a difficult circumstance in your life to protect you, that can be very uncomfortable. Amen? Something going on at work. You got fired. And you thought that's the worst thing in the world. But then later on you come to find out, wait a minute. That was God protecting me. He prepared me for something else. Y'all all all right? Now, if I sin, God chastises me. He disciplines me. Do you understand that? Sometimes the disease of sin, I need to be protected from that. And the Lord will do something in my life to protect me from that. And so Spurgeon says, sin is a disease. By his stripes, I'm healed. Sin is abnormal. It takes the crown from the head, the light from the mind, and the joy from the heart. How many of you have ever sinned deliberately? You knew you were doing it, you enjoyed it, and you said, done it. And then all of a sudden, the conviction comes, and you don't sing that day. You're irritated at everybody. You bust everybody in the grill. You mistreat your kids. They're not the ones who did it, but you blame it on them. And come to find out it's you because you sinned and the Holy Spirit's convicting you. Amen? Y'all all all right? Sin is abnormal. It takes the joy from your heart. Uh, Sin's a disorder. It takes the faculties of a man and it changes them around. We live to eat instead of eat to live. It takes all those passions that you have that are normal, everyday passions, that in the confines of holiness are just fine. They're okay. But once under sin's control, they become ridiculous. They become immoral. And so it flips the man upside down. Sin undermines. It's a, it's a disease that weakens a man Moral energy is broken down. If you ever gotten involved in something where you know you sinned, or just, let me just tell you, you have a good good old-fashioned scrap with your spouse. And instead of saying, listen, before you go to work, I'm sorry this happened today. I love you. You're way more important to me than this. I love you. We'll finish this later, but I, I love you, and I'm sorry. And go to work. You'll be fine. But you walk out the door and say, I ain't asking that fool for forgiveness. He shouldn't have done that. I'm going to sit. And when you get to work, how do you feel? You feel broken down, no energy, you're hurt. You, you, whatever it takes, a broken relationship, a broken marriage, whatever it may be, something going on, that sin will rob you of your energy. Man, there's so many times I go in the other room and be reading a magazine. I ain't talking to you. I ain't talking to you. You can't read that magazine because your mind is focused on that. And so it undermines you. Sin numbs the nature. Sin, Spurgeon says, the more sinful a man is, the less he is conscious of it. Woo! Pastors in the kitchen. Sin is impure, it pollutes a man. You can exist in sin, but you can't thrive in sin. You can exist in it, but you can't truly live. Sin deprives us of spiritual sight, hearing, feeling, and taste. It steals the joy of life. Does it not? You're aggravated with something. You're not done what you're supposed to do with your body. And, and then you get in the car and you cut the radio off. Because you got it on a Christian station to start with. But now you don't want to hear anything. You go to bed, your Bible's calling you. Open me up, and you're like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> you right, y'all all right. And finally, sin is fatal. In Ezekiel eighteen four, it says, "The soul that sinneth, it shall die." And I've seen Christians that are dead on the vine, man. They are dead. And I've seen lost people who are dead while they yet liveth. Isaiah fifty three five says, "By his stripes we're healed." That's the cure for the sin. We really are responsible for our own demise. Look in verse number 19. He says, why is this such a, a difficult thing for us? Don't you know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? Huh? Can I ask you a question? How many of y'all have a happy place? Y'all have a happy place? Where's your happy place? garden, the beach, the garage, the garage. Who said garage? The garage, your happy place, the golf course, the pool, the beach, uh, Disney, uh, where's, where's, uh, where is, uh, I'm not picking on you, Emily. Uh, (laughs) uh, My happy place is in my garden, the golf course. I have two or three happy places, and when you irritate me, I go to my happy place. You know, if I'm listening to music and a song comes on I don't like, I go to my happy place. It'll change in a minute. We'll get back around to something else. Y'all all right? If there's a conversation going on and I don't like it, I go to my happy place. Uh, you may find me in my shop and, and, and building things, doing whatever. I just go to my happy place. And so uh, then you get a happy place. How many of y'all ever created a happy place and somebody invaded your happy place? And you're looking at them in your happy place and you're like, get out of my happy place. Because this is why it's happy. Because I, I ain't being around you. Get out of my happy place. So when you go to your happy place and somebody shows up in your happy place, you know that they're there. See, when the Lord saved you, he put the Holy Spirit of God in you. And here's, here's what the Scripture says right here. The Scripture says that this is the Hagiu pneumatos. That's the Holy Spirit that lives in your soma, which is your body, which is the naos, which is the temple. Your body is the temple the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit and when sin comes into the sanctuary it disrupts the sanctuary I mean that's as real as it's going to get my body my life my soul my mind When I allow something in there that doesn't belong, it irritates the Holy Spirit because there's purity in me. And see, and this is what causes us so much trouble. So be encouraged. Like I told you, I at the beginning of the message, I'm in the fight. And so the fight means you belong to Jesus. Now, you can't let the fight beat you down. The fight is there. The Holy Spirit is in there. And the Holy Spirit lives in you and says, Hey, let's let's restore order. This is not going to be fun. And for some reason, sometimes I let it go on and on and on and on. And then, have you ever been at odds with somebody that you love and you won't talk to them? And then finally you break down and you call them. And what do y'all end up doing on the phone? (laughs) I'm so sorry, I love you. Then you have a love fest, don't you? And you're thinking, boy, this feels so good. I should have done this yesterday. Restore the order. You got something going on in your life, and God puts His finger on. It. Here's what I, I used to tell my mother this, and she would help me when I was a young Christian. I said, God put His, th- I, said, I feel like God's got His thumb on my chest, and He is just pressing it, and He won't let me up, and He's just causing me all this trouble. And then his mama says, That's the Holy Spirit, son. It's convicting you. So whatever it is that you got going on, God's trying to get you to deal with that. Y'all all right? See, today, everybody talks about, well, I'm going to get psychoanalysis, and we're going to drag up all this stuff that was in your past. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit brings up things that you can deal with when the time is proper. You see, he knows you. That's what we're doing. So he says, you bring this up. The Holy Spirit, the third person, listen, the third person of the Trinity literally lives in your heart. Did you hear what I just said? God is living in your sanctuary. God is in your temple, and he is there. And, and when something disrupts it, fix it. The, the Greeks saw the body as evil. God chose to sanctify the body and to live in it by the Holy Spirit. Now, how about that? The people today say, oh, well, we're going to do this. We'll just give into it. God says, no, I took that temple, and I redeemed it with my blood. Now, do you know that when you have company in your house, you know they're there? Good grief, do you ever know they're there? There's two happy moments when they come to visit. When they're at the door, both times. I have the gift of hospitality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See y'all. Bye. Good night. They're gone. Did could you believe Aunt Edna? <laughs> The fabric of honor and purity is God by way of the Holy Spirit living in you and living in your soul, witnessing, convicting, loving, encouraging, strengthening, purifying, and holding you until the day of redemption. You know, and, and while we're here, let me just say this. You can't abort your baby and say, my body, my choice. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie. Because you are, what i say this morning, Paisley, you're buried with Christ in baptism. We buried the person you used to be. What we're saying, you were bought with a price. You were bought at a price. Look at verse, he says right here, you're not your own, verse 20. You're bought at a price. Not with a price, you were bought at a price. If we have a foundation in salvation and learn to control our freedom and yield to the Holy Spirit, we will honor God with our bodies. Our main goal as a Christian is to glorify God. Period. That's what it that's what it's all about. And it is as if you were literally bought off the auction block. The Greek word here is a passive. Aorist, which means it was done to you in the past at some point in time. Period. Done. Wham. When I tell you, see, I'm not going to stand here and just tell you preacher talk. I'm going to tell you the Word of God. And when I tell you that you're secure eternally when you receive Jesus as your personal Savior, I'm telling you what the Word of God says. And it's a passive, God did it to you, He saved you, you didn't save yourself. If you saved yourself, you can lose your salvation. But he, in a moment in time, aorist tense, done, period, done to you. That's why it's translated as you're not going to be bought. You were bought in the past, done and over with. And if he bought you literally off the auction block with the blood of Jesus Christ, or, I mean, listen to me. God does not work for Amazon. You didn't come with a return label. When he bought you, he bought you. No take backs. You belong to him. You can't take it back. Done. Period. Bought. Finished. His blood is the only, Jeremy sang it a while ago, no one could or would have redeemed you. Jesus is the only acceptable and qualified blood for the payment of your sins and mine. You can't claim to own your own body and say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You were buried with Christ at baptism. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means that you crucified yourself because of Christ on the cross. I am crucified with him. He gave up his life for you and for me. And when I receive him and am born again, I crucify myself. I no longer belong to me. There's a bunch of Baptists that forgot that. We're supposed to be the people of holiness. Let me ask you this. If you claim that your body, after you're saved, belongs to you and you have the rights and choices to what you do, would you forfeit that for heaven? Because that's what you're saying you're telling me that the blood of Jesus Christ, the word for balt right here is timne. It's spelled T-I-M-E like in English time, but it's pronounced timne. And it means the highest price. It means an honorable price, a precious price, a valuable price, an esteemed money paid for something. In other words, there is nothing else in the entire universe, history, world, world without end that was capable of purchasing the lost sinner but the blood of Jesus Christ. God be the glory. And you're going to tell me that that blood was used to purchase you and you lost your salvation. I will beg your pardon. Get in the book, preacher. Get in there and see what it says. Listen what 1 Peter 1.18 says. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold. Can't buy it that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers but with the precious timnay but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect man that's good isn't it therefore glorify God in your body it's because of that glorify God in your body and so, all the things that we've talked about over the last two or three weeks, I can literally get up every morning and say, Lord, I want to glorify you in my body. So, wow. You get tested in about 20 seconds, I promise you. You all right? <laughs> just, go to, just go to Home Depot. Better yet, go to Walmart. If you don't get tested, call me. I'll test you on the phone, Okay. <laughs> the admonition is to bring God into the equation of all your decision making y'all alright and, and so I, I think we should try to do that now what does the word glory mean the word glory means something that has weight to it it means it's important giving your spiritual life weight or importance it's about priority can I tell you this 35 40 years of knowing Jesus I'm I'm still fighting y'all know this right here gets me in trouble you know why this gets us in trouble because it represents this and I just think boy my flesh is so hard to control my mind my mouth you don't think Satan's involved in that he wants to beat you down he will to. Get, but thank God for that blood that were covered and, he, and we're just encouraged. You can fall down a million times and everybody get tired of it and Jesus will take you back every time. And he will just keep pushing you forward because we have been redeemed. We are bought. All of us are to be thankful. And, and gr- listen, here's what that means. The ground around the cross where the blood was spilled is level for everyone. Nobody... You're, I don't have a direct line. People call me sometimes and say, Pastor, you've got to be the one to pray for this. Well, you have just as much access as I do. And, and, and we, I want to pray with you about it. I don't want you to not call me and pray. I want to be in it with you. But I'm not special. I'm just like you are. We're in the same fight. I may have worked a little bit of discipline in my life that you don't have, but we're all people. Amen? And we just keep working. We keep working. We keep working. And so it's, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. So, you know, this, this is a crude illustration. But the word glorify means to cause someone to have a good opinion of someone else. So I want you to have a good opinion of God as I glorify Him in my body. Does that make sense? If I glorify God in my body, someone may see that and say, that boy's different. I want, Man, he glorifies God in everything he does. I want to do that too. Boom, there we go. Here's what Peter says about that. Listen to this. Give me a passage of Scripture, Brother Jerry. 1 Peter 2.12. Y'all all right? Good one. 1 Peter 2.12 live such good lives among the pagans. That's a word you don't hear very often. That they accuse you of doing, that that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That means that you live such a good life, they'll see something in you, and they'll say, wow, I want to do that too. And then on the day they'll glorify God, too, because they're ready. You all right? Now, this is crude illustration, but it's a good illustration. I like it, and I, you know, today it's very difficult for us to talk about slavery, but in the day that this was written, slavery was very real. And in many places today, it's still real. But literally, Paul using this illustration about being bought understood that in the day they literally brought human beings to the town square and they bought them from the auction block. Now, our first thought is that we think of the situation with African-Americans, but I want you to remove that from your mind. This was a day where Romans, Jews, uh, Ethiopians, every race Creed, color. So if you just take color out of it for the purpose of knowing that we were all sinful and we were bought at a price. But at the auction block, the, the history of the story says there was a woman and many of the women were sold into slavery and they were abused physically as well by their masters. And many times it was told by some of the Jewish historians that the people would literally be brought, put up on the auction block, and made fun of before they were purchased. Now, if that doesn't doesn't do something to your heart, can you imagine the young women and being told, this is what I'm going to do to you when I purchase you. There was a man there that bought a woman. And... He got her papers literally they would go through and you got papers for ownership for this person and then he purchased this woman she was delivered to him and the first thing that she did was spit in his face and he cleaned his face and he said no you don't understand I'm going to sign these papers over to you I am setting you free I purchased you so you could be free. In 1982, I met the Son of God, and he said, I bought you, and I set you free. I set you free. And I've been preaching to you about this over the last three weeks, and then this week I jumped in the radio. Jumped in, turned in the car, jumped in the car, turned the radio. J. Vernon McGee. He's preaching away. Guess where he's preaching? Pretty close to where I was at. And he talked about what I've been telling you. Legalism. And then he talked about uh, the people that were legalistic, people that were lascivious. And then I talked to you about your freedom. But J. Vernon McGee, he... he illustrated a little better he said liberty and so that's what we've been talking about I want you to be balanced I don't want you to be legalistic I don't want you to be at liberality he says I want you to have liberty and when you get purchased by Jesus he brings about liberty and we're free in Christ but I've been purchased he owns me he can't get rid of me I'm his forever and I'm cleansed and I'm ready to keep growing in Jesus. If you're if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ. I want to set you free. I want to tell you about him. I can't set you free, but he will set you free. I, I just have the message for you. And you just say, Lord, I don't own myself anymore. You own me and I want you to have me. Did you know what that means? That means that you're saved. It means that you really want to give up your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. Would you do that for me today? The church, the doors of the church are open for those who have received Christ. Uh, maybe you haven't been baptized. You want to get that taken care of. Come down, tell pastor, hey, let's set this up. Let's get it done. Amen? Maybe you just want to join Woodlake. Maybe you just want to come to the altar this morning and say, Lord, thank you for purchasing me. Thank you for taking me and making me a part of your family. Let's stand. Lord Jesus.